Hi, I'm Madhuri Krishnan, editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and welcome to the podcast. We're doing something a little bit different with the podcast now. We're bringing you audio of our weekly live stream, Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly, which we broadcast every week, every Monday, at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Join us next week. We'll take your questions while we discuss the hottest topics in the airline industry. You can register at forum.skift.com. Good morning. Hi, and welcome to Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly. I'm your host, Madhuni Christian, the editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and I'm joined today with a very special guest, Seth Kaplan, um, who is the co-founder and former editor of Airline Weekly, the current host, our current transportation analyst on for NPR and WBUR's Here and Now, and co-host with Spirit Airlines CEO, former Spirit Airlines CEO, Ben Baldanza, of the podcast Airline Confidential. Welcome, Seth. Madhu, great to be here. This is a real thrill. Thanks so much for inviting me on. No, thanks for joining us. And just before we get started, if you have, to our listeners out there, if you have any questions, feel free to use the chat function on the live stream, and we will answer your questions as they come in. We'll be posting a podcast version of this this live stream on our site, uh, Airline Weekly, and wherever you get your podcasts um, uh, later in the week, as well as a replay on AirlineWeekly.com. So Seth, let's talk about the latest issue of Airline Weekly. Um, in it, there was a little bit of a, um, there were some green shoots or the barest, barest slivers of green shoots, I suppose you could say. And that came from the lessors, which um, Aircap and um, ALC, which announced their earnings last week. Why, why are the lessors a little bit more bullish on this industry when everyone else is crying in their beer? Yeah, the lessors of all people, right, who, uh, <laughs> uh, I think it was Jude Bricker of, of Sun Country who said a couple of weeks ago, and I can't remember who, who he was talking to when he said this, but uh, uh, talking about airlines renegotiating leases that uh, say to them, you know, hey, um, oh, you, you want to repossess your plane? Come get it. <laughs> they don't want it <laughs> because everybody and, and this is a different situation right usually uh for for less wars if they have an airline in trouble uh you can remarket the plane the problem is all airlines are in the same spot and so all less wars are are in the same spot with with obviously lower demand for aircraft but you mentioned aircap and and alc uh both reporting earnings and there's some great detailed write-ups in 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 uh, airline weekly which obviously we won't have time to get through all of it right now but uh there was one quote in, in the newsletter that i saw uh, from alc which they've they've said in the past that they've said you know in in uh in good times uh, paraphrasing it for something like in, in good times airlines need our airplanes and bad <laughs> times airlines need our balance sheet right so what's happening now is is yeah uh all airlines are kind of back to square one here even airlines that had been rather strong just trying to raise cash mm-hmm. and so uh it, it, among lessors especially the stronger ones first of all they the stronger ones that is feel like you know there could be the shakeout in the market in recent years part part of the problem with being less sore is that because the business had been attractive guess what happens when something's attractive lots of people <laughs> crowd into it right and uh well you, you know the old warren buffett saying about when the tide's out that's how uh, that's when you see who's swimming naked right well <laughs> the tide's yeah. out right <laughs> And so, so, so those lessors, the sort of the stronger ones, uh, you know, the ones who, the ones who, who have, uh, well, in some cases, a longer time now in, in the industry navigating uh, through these cycles, are thinking, well, okay, some of those newer entrants are going to go away. 
some consolidation, that would be helpful. Mm -hmm. And demand for leasing in general, perhaps going up with airlines no longer having the balance sheets uh, to, to carry these planes. And that's one reason why airlines lease planes, not the only one, but sometimes it's just they just don't have the credit rating, for example, to uh, you know to go out and get a loan on good terms. Might be more attractive to lease. And, and needless to say, every airline, even the relatively strong ones, they're all in worse shape now than they uh, than they previously were. Right. Well, well, that brings up an interesting question I had. Um, you know, so if 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 lessors are bullish, you know, and, and I think it was uh, was it Aircap said the overwhelming bulk of airlines will be in business when we come through this, right? There will be some losses, there will be some bankruptcies, but so the ones that survived, do you think they'll be interested or start a process of refleeting once we're through the uh, th through the crisis? And that's what's interesting. We've, we've already seen some indications of that, right? With all these mm -hmm. aircraft suddenly being retired. You and I, we were talking just before we went live about how, how, how that works. Sometimes you yeah. you don't know when the last time you were on a certain fleet type was, right? Exactly. And, and, and all of a sudden we realized, hey, maybe we were on a 767-300 for the last time. And we didn't know it when, when, right. when it happened. And, and what's interesting about it is that this is a little, it's kind of counterintuitive here. You would think that at a time like this, uh, airlines would be happy not to maybe have new airplanes paying big big loan payments or big lease payments on newer airplanes at a time when they're not flying that much anyway, right? And so you have the old depreciated aircraft mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, basically a variable cost aircraft. In other words, maybe it costs a little more when you do fly, it burns a little more fuel, requires right. a little more maintenance, but hey, when it's parked, who cares? It's paid off. But we see uh, you know, Delta accelerating the retirement uh, of its of its MD-80s. I think that's what started our conversation, right? And right. And, and other examples, of so many, you see all the, every day. I feel like yeah. I, I read in, in Airline Weekly, for example, about another air, airline that's retiring not just one but several fleet types uh in in quick succession um and so you say well that that's that maybe in light of what i said doesn't make sense especially with fuel being this cheap right mm -hmm. wouldn't you think older airplanes uh might be relatively more desirable because of the sort of the, the penalty the fuel cost penalty so to speak isn't as high as usually yeah that is. would be the conventional wisdom i mean you'd think you'd assume that right, that right. If, if fuel's dirt cheap why not fly the md80s for a while right exactly and all things being equal there's no question that's the case but all things are not equal right and what's happening is because the market knows this right and because boeing and airbus or producing all these airplanes that it turns out everybody doesn't need as badly as as they previously did. That's putting downward pressure on the cost of new aircraft. And, and so that reshuffles things again. These manufacturers are going to have to sell these aircraft. Lessors are going to have to lease the aircraft. And so, you know, airlines would always rather have, all things being exactly equal, would always rather have a new airplane than an older airplane. Uh, and, you know, if, if the new airplane was free, let's say, well, it's not going to be free, but if the cost of it uh, the capital cost or cost of leasing uh, and whatnot comes down to a point where it becomes attractive again, then then they're happy to have them. And just generally in a world that needs fewer aircraft, again, yeah, there are a lot of reasons why older aircraft can be attractive, but but this industry just needs fewer aircraft now than it previously did. Well, which ones do you not want? Your oldest ones or your newest ones? If you can get them affordably, you're probably still going to want those uh, those newer aircraft. Well, let's go on a little tangent that we didn't talk about, but uh, it's it's you know, <laughs> let's talk about one particular new aircraft type in <laughs> specifically, and that's the A380. 
<laughs> I mean, have we taken our last, the last time I flew in an A380 was maybe a little over a year ago. Was that the last time I'm going to fly in an A380? Have some of us, was the first flight, the last flight for some people on, yeah. on the A380. That's wild. And that's a, that's a, it's, it's a great story. And I hope, I hope somebody writes a book about that, uh, about that program. Not me. Um, <laughs> too tired, <laughs> but, uh, but, but no, it, it's, it's an amazing story because that was supposed to be the future. Yeah. In many regards of, of global travel, at least. And it has come and gone so quickly accelerated clearly by, by the current crisis. But, but even before that, you know, it, it just turned out that Air, Airbus was 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 wrong. I mean, right. I mean both Airbus and, and Boeing uh, produced a, a new a large aircraft, jumbo aircraft. But in Boeing's case, it kind of hedged its bets with the 747-8 sort of said, well, yeah, Airbus might be right that there's some need for these planes. But we'll just update the old plane. Airbus really bet the future of the company on it. Uh, and, uh, again, they seem to have been wrong even before all of this, but now in a world that just doesn't need as many airplanes, it certainly doesn't need airplanes that can hold that many people. Uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of us probably have, I mean, we see these airlines already mothballing their, uh, their, yeah. their A380s remarkable. That's one of those things, uh, you know, reasonable people could disagree about the prospects for the A380, even back when it was new. And certainly in more recent years, I don't think anybody, any of us saw that coming. You no, know, that, not that, that quick. Know, I mean, what? Here in 2020, perhaps been on our last A380 flight. Wouldn't it have a service life of like 10, 12 years? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was 06 years, 07, 14 years, thing, probably. Yeah. 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 That's first thing. Crazy. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about, um, some of the so now we've been through most of the earnings of North American carriers with the major carrier, the network carriers, you know, and Southwest announcing their earnings two weeks ago. And last week's some of the smaller carriers like Alaska, JetBlue, and um, Spirit Hawaiian uh, announcing their earnings. Um, so there, there's a little bit of a consensus emerging now. And you look at it, the through line with all these earnings is that domestic travel will come back or short haul travel will start to recover before long haul international travel, which is to the benefit of carriers like JetBlue, Alaska, Spirit. Do you, do, do you agree with this conventional wisdom? And do you think that this will actually benefit the JetBlues and Alaskas of the world? Or do you think there's just, it's, it's um, do you think we're gonna see some other major changes? Yeah, I think there are different ways to sort of slice and dice everybody's prospects, right? So so one thing, of course, is just what kind of shape were you going into this, right? So let's say if you take, okay, airlines that were in good shape going into the crisis, Southwest and Delta, to name two that were that were both in about as good a shape as, as, as any airline in the world. But then what is, as, as, as you're saying, what is your network exposure? Mm -hmm. uh, well, between Southwest and Delta, you'd probably rather be Southwest right now. A nearly all domestic airline, uh, not exposed to business class travel. That's another one, right? What's your revenue exposure? Uh, so yeah, if, you, if, you're, if you're Delta, uh, you like United, like American, like, uh, 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 of course, uh, the IAGs and Qantas of the world, and, and uh, to name two others, by the way, that were in relatively good shape uh, going into this, you know, you are, you are in a per, an important percentage of your revenue flying internationally, an important percentage of your revenue uh, with you know, selling very expensive business class seats mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. So, so you, so the, the, the best position airlines of all 
are those that were both in good shape going into this and don't have that kind of same exposure. And in very simple terms, look, what's different now is that this is not just about fear, right? Like in, let's say, the post-9-11 environment or other or other points in time. This is about, you know, we are not allowed to fly a lot of places, even if we, you know, I, I cannot get on a plane today for any amount of money, even if I had it, even if I, if I wanted to, and fly to a lot of places uh, in the world, certainly not if I uh, when I get back right away, right? So, so, um, so, so, so there's, so there's that. Just from a regulatory perspective, uh, you know, how soon are we even going to be allowed to travel, even to the near abroad, right? Even if you're American to Canada to Mexico, uh, and so, so you, at least when it comes to domestic travel, uh, all, there was this question a couple months ago, like, would that be shut down at some point? Right. No, it seems like you know, there's. We're still flying, albeit at lower levels. And that at least is something where it's just a question of people's individual comfort level, right? First of health experts saying that it's that it's okay again, you know, socially acceptable again to go get back on airplanes and then just people feeling um, okay doing it. So yeah, I, I think I, I would think in terms of those two things, what kind of shape was the airline in? Uh, what's its network exposure? And then in, in some cases around the world, Frankly, what's the political importance of, of of the airline? This is not just an, an economic or financial question. In a lot of cases, it's a, it's a political question too. Alitalia, in any you know rational world, would have long since ceased to exist before before any of this. Um, but but it has better prospects than uh, than some other airlines around the world that, that that were stronger going into this crisis because it's it's national government is you know, yeah well a new lease on life some have said for all Italia right and that, that's actually a good spot to take this audience question um, uh, which is from anonymous how do you view the rule the role of state subsidies for airlines right now Seth you want to yeah. take the first crack at it sure and then I, I, I want to hear what you think um, Manu. But um, yeah, well, it, it's this muddies the waters, right? And and this is you know if we think about the airline I just mentioned, Alitalia. I mean, there was a limit previously to what the Italian government could do, at least ostensibly, because uh, you know the competition law, there's competition law, and there's laws about state subsidies and all the rest of it in Europe that um, that other airlines and countries were actively challenging. Um, uh, allegedly illegal state aid and so forth. It's hard to say where all that would have gone. But what's clear now is that the standards are completely different. Right. Uh, and, and there aren't too many airlines around the world that were equipped to get through this crisis without any kind of aid. And we're talking, including some of the very strongest airlines in the world. Now, after the first tranche of aid, what's interesting you see some separation in, in kind of the the positions that they're taking, right? If you think I mentioned a few minutes ago about Qantas, Virgin Australia, of course, has has entered um, with voluntary administration, what Americans would call uh, something like Chapter Eleven, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so um, and you can see that Qantas is kind of walking a line here of of you know not lobbying for too much help because help keeps their weaker competitor alive. Uh, Delta is one. Uh, Ed Bastian made comments during, I think it was during Delta's earnings call, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, he sort of said, you know, I don't know what kind of additional help we're going to get. And and I don't know if I was reading, uh, Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta, I don't know if I was reading between the lines too much to think that, you know, part of it is that he recognizes that in a war of attrition, as bad as this is for Delta and as much as Delta, you know, needed the help that it got and all the other airlines needed it, you know, at some point, uh, 
you know, if this just went on, Delta would be better positioned and yeah. some other airlines around the world would be better positioned. You know, if you look at European airlines, IAG would be better positioned uh, to win a war of attrition than than, uh, than some of its competitors. Uh, and so I think there's a recognition of that. And so at some point here, kind of that first, you know, shock followed by the bunch of beta, I think almost every airline wanted it because you know, just nobody knew how long this was going to last. But as there's a little more visibility, we don't know what's going to happen next, but um green shoots as you mentioned um you know some some evidence that maybe things have bottomed out and and are on the upswing albeit a very slow upswing uh yeah there are going to be airlines not to mention other stakeholders who who are going to uh say you know maybe enough is enough for uh uh for state aid so i think there broad recognition that uh that sort of the first round of it was was uh, necessary, uh, at least if you want to protect against the downside of lots of liquidations. But going forward, it will be uh, more um, more controversial here. And, and as I said, for a lot of airlines around the world, really more of a political question than a financial and economic one of whether they uh, survive. Let's see here what happens with Avianca. You know, let's let's see a lot of, a lot of questions. What do yeah, you think? I I, no, I, I 100% agree with you. I mean, we have to, there, there's a right, the backstop and the aid that a lot of governments around the world gave to their airlines um, was a recognition that these are critical and these, these companies provide critical infrastructure. They're, they're, you know, like a bridge or a road. They, they are necessary the function, for the functioning of uh, the economy. Um, so yes, there needed to be some kind of backstop. There needed to be, whether it's loan guarantees or direct grants or what have you, some way to prop up airlines for, from against this thing that is just unprecedented and caught them all blindsided. Now, as you said, going forward, it will be a little bit more controversial because there is a, you know, at what point, in other words, what point do you recognize that, uh, that some companies just might not make it? Right. And, and some some will. And the, as long as there is a minimum service of air uh, level of air service being provided, then, you know, maybe maybe it's trimming the fat. And that is actually a really good segue <laughs> to talk about this week's feature story in Airline Weekly, in which we t we looked at this whole question of out of destruction, there is creation. Right. We're sort of in an inflection point at, in the airline industry right now with the U in the U.S., um, the, and in past crises, new businesses and new business models have emerged. I mean, think Southwest, think JetBlue. Like the, the, these airlines got their start with Southwest really taking off after deregulation, which was a shock to the industry, right? And um, although it had existed for what, eight years before deregulation, but you know, it really becoming a national airline and afterwards. Um, and with, um, you know, it, JetBlue in the early 2000s whole new, and Virgin America in 2008. Um, are we, so now let's look at, there are a few factors, right, Seth? I mean, aircraft are cheap. There's lots of aircraft all over the place, like parked as we were talking. Money okay. is cheap. Um, interest rates are low. Uh, probably from October 1st in the US, there will be a lot of airline management talent available. You know, unfortunately, you know, they're, they're, the airlines have signaled that they will be cutting their staffs um, or outright said they will. So there'll be a lot of airline management and labor available. So talent will be available. Are we there yet? Do you think we're going to see something new? And what do you think we'll see? So interesting. So, well, the 
so the arguments against it are are obvious, right? Like like how crazy do you have to be to want to start an airline? Yeah, exactly. Right? So, so so those are all very legitimate arguments. I'll focus on the other ones, not because I'm sure that they're what's going to carry the day, but I think because they're what's what's more interesting, right? So so it turns out that this industry, uh, again, just very quickly to do the arguments against it turns out that this industry is still as shock prone as it ever was right the idea that uh that this time is different uh you know no we see warren buffett you know having said you know fool me twice you know right. uh, and, 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 and all the rest of it right so 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 we understand we understand that um and and it's all it's all true and and and, and valid um in terms of reasons why um not such why it might not be such a bad thing uh so first of all those that you said just airplanes are cheap right uh there's getting more capacity just to get just gates and just infrastructure all that right um you know you might not be able to get into reagan national or LaGuardia or you know, uh a couple others but you know it'll, it'll be easier than ever to start flying um at, at a lot of airports in america before long here uh and and look other things you mentioned JetBlue. JetBlue started uh, started just before 9-11, but really thrived in the post-9-11 environment. And if we think of what uh, what helped JetBlue get going, I mean, one big factor was that it was competing against some very sick airlines, yeah. sick legacy competitors, uh, Delta uh, primarily back then. Now, obviously, Delta went into this crisis and far better shape than it went into that crisis but the crisis is 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 worse this time and there are some structural things here that even though again delta as well managed an airline as as any we mentioned southwest you know and, and all of these u.s airlines i mean are, are, are almost all of them are far better shape than than the incumbents were back then but just structurally uh things that they can do nothing about you mentioned the furloughs that are that are very clearly coming with the frontline workers, the people who get furloughed are going to be the most junior workers. Mm. And so the in terms of labor cost advantage or disadvantage, just the reality that, you know, before long here, the most junior worker, I mean, unless there's a miracle, obviously, let's all hope that somehow things rebound to a degree that nobody can even imagine before October 1st and that the furloughs aren't as as, as bad as they look to be right now. But But if, you know, 30% of United's pilots are gone and all the rest of the things that we've heard as possibilities. Um, those are going to be the most junior people that are furloughed. Uh, so first of all, they're going to be in the labor market right. available, as you said, uh, you, you mentioned management talent, but also just pilots and all the rest of it, right? No more pilots shortage. Um, and those air, you know, a new airline, whether it's David Nealman's new airline or the one that Andrew Levy wanted to start or, or who knows what else, um, uh, will have an even bigger cost advantage uh, than, than it would have had before because there's, there's just going to be no junior employees at this other uh, at, at these incumbent airlines, right? So everybody... Second. Let's pause there for a second. I mean, it's also important to remember that most airlines in the U.S. signed pretty lavish contracts with their yes. employees before the crisis. Yes. So they have, right. they're not only going to be shedding if, if, this, if everything plays out as we think it will, they're not only going to be shedding their their most junior employees, but they are paying their, the employees they will keep a lot more than they. they yes. Work. Yes. So, so just an entire, right. So, so you're, so you're, a, you know, a clean sheet airline able to 
you, you, know, you might not have unions from day one, but you're just, however it works, your labor rates are going to reflect this new environment and everybody's brand new. And sort of related to that, I think one thing in recent years that had become tougher about being a new airline is that the scale that you would need to, to compete against even your smallest incumbent competitors was hard to achieve, right? I mean, you think about it, the smallest airlines in America, uh, you know, if it's, let's set aside Sun Country, but of sort of the 10 or 11 biggest airlines, you know, whether it's an Allegiant or Frontier Spirit, these are all airlines, like 100 airplanes, you know, roughly or more. Um, and so if you're going to go start an airline with 10 or 20 airplanes, yeah, you have new employees and all the rest of it, but you don't have a lot of scale. And and that's pretty daunting to try to scale up to compete against an Allegiant, which has very low unit costs. Now, all these airlines are going to be somewhat smaller. Uh, you know, it's one degree or another than, than you thought. So, so, so you're not as much smaller as you thought. Uh, you're going to have a bigger labor cost advantage. All the other advantages that, that you mentioned. I mean, look, starting an airline uh, for every JetBlue and for every Southwest, we can name a hundred <laughs> sky buses and, and all the others that have come and gone. It is that we're, we're talking all in relative terms. We're not saying it is a good time to start an airline. The question is, is it a less bad time now? And I think it's 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 uh it's it's a closer call at least than uh than when you first think about how crazy you have to be. Well, I mean, to be fair, Seth, I mean, the yes, forgetting Skybus and People's Express and all the the po immediate post deregulation does that, uh, mistakes or or missteps, let's say, you know, since two thousand, there have not been a lot of new entrants that have gone under. Um, the legacies all declared Chapter Seven chapter 11 and or merged and disappeared but you know JetBlue's still around virgin america i guess um merged with alaska but so it, it seems like it you know there's if it's done right it might not be a bad time right yeah it's it's uh right well they're 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 i guess you could say there haven't been as many attempts or as many failures right it, it used to be it's it's just um yeah and i think that was some of it it was just people feeling uh, that it was daunting to go up against, again, these stronger airlines. If a, a year ago, the idea of, of starting an airline against these incumbents as, as they were, I should say also, talked earlier about a, a war of attrition there too, right? These airlines are not in the same position right now to, to, to compete, to think in the long term in quite the same way that they were in the past, right? We see them all kind of retreating to their hubs. And so there's that too, right? When JetBlue started, it was able to do a lot of what it could do. And, you know, there just wasn't much Delta could do. Um, and so you're back in that situation where they also just, just can't make those kinds of um, long-term investments, even though obviously they're going to do what they, what they feel they have to, to, uh, to compete. So, uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, uh, the more you think about it, the more uh, the more interesting. And, and you can't have, look, every every crisis causes changes in the industry. As you mentioned, a lot of crises sort of bring about new entrants. So it, it stands to reason that the biggest crisis of all would bring about some of the biggest changes of all. And also you wonder if, yeah, we're going to look, uh, look back on this, as you said, as as an inflection point. Right. Right? I mean, in some ways it, it will be, but, but what are going to be the long-term uh, lessons and stories that are starting right now Probably some that we can imagine um, that we might or might not be wrong, right about, and then others that, that we're just not even thinking about. Well, I just want to, I mean, we're almost out of time, but I want to take one audience question because it is an interesting one, and it's it's germane. I'm, will there be M&A aplenty, Anonymous asks. Um, what do you think, Seth? Let's let's take a first well, Yeah, um, well, I, I think 
I think it is it is more likely uh-huh. now, uh, and, and and I'll tell you why. Okay, so everything's well, do you think every, I mean, regulatory rock, appetite. I mean, is there political will yeah. for this? Well, well, but that's and that's the reason why I think that now you okay. So in terms of like the ability to buy something, right? Everything is worth less now, but everybody has less money now, <laughs> right? But but as you mentioned, there is capital out there. This is not like kind of 2009 where capital markets locked up, right? I mean, you, you can go borrow money. There are people who will help you do a deal now. Um, but let's just even say if that's all kind of, that all kind of washes out, right? Stuff is cheaper, but we have less money. Okay, fine. So then um, let's, so then the regulatory environment, there are airlines now that can credibly make the argument that either you allow this deal to go through or a company goes out of business anyway, right? I'm talking globally. Um, and that is a more powerful argument with regulators than an environment where they're looking at, uh, you know, from their perspective, less competition, increased market power for an incumbent. Uh, it's just always a better a better argument to be able to make uh, I, I, there, I remember uh, Doug Parker before Congress, I can't remember if it was the House or Senate, back when, so this was when U.S. Airways and America West were, it was America West basically buying the old U.S. Airways. Uh, and whoever it was who was questioning him asked him to speak to the, the 5,000 jobs that were about to be lost, if I'm remembering the uh, – uh, the number correctly in the merger, and he said, he said, I don't think we're, I don't think we're talking about, you know, whether five thousand jobs are going to be lost. I think we're talking about saving thirty-eight thousand right. jobs or something like that. Yeah, whatever yeah. the number was at both companies. So that was the argument that he was making a year ago. None of these executives could have, with a straight face, argued that if you don't let this deal go through, uh, a company's go out of, going to go out of business. Um, now, none of these U.S. airlines right now are on the precipice, thanks to the aid that they've gotten, but. Uh, but there are airlines that can much more credibly argue now that hey, if you want to stabilize the industry, you have to, uh, you have to allow this. So I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think um, at least from a regulatory perspective, uh, it, it, it's more likely now than than it would have been. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think uh, I think right. I think you're exactly right. There's there was would there would have been no regulatory or political will even three four months ago, for entertaining airline murders. I mean, no one would have entertained the thought. As you said, no people would have laughed any airline executive out of the room if he if he or she said this would this is going to save jobs. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? But but uh, I think so. I think the situation is changing. There are not a lot of airlines left to merge in the U.S., so it would be curious to see what you know what happens. But I think a lot more will be clear after October first, right? I mean, we're going to see. Airlines in the U.S. at least right now are sort of propped up. They're still losing money, but they're they've got the the federal aid that they they have to keep their staffs intact until October first. We'll know a lot more then. Like they're all saying, they're going to be smaller. Will they be shakier? I mean, United has definitely been um, preserving cash. <laughs> It, to, in some might say a kind of alarming way, but so we'll, we'll you know, did, right. say euphemism. For, right. <laughs> no, but, but, but the question is, right. Is United really so different or are they just being more 
forthcoming about what's going to happen at all there like, hard, hard to say yeah. you know all right uh so seth we're we are out of time i want to thank all of you for tuning in today and as yeah. i said this will be rebroadcast on our uh, our live re- our replay will be on airlineweekly.com this week and it'll be distributed as a podcast so look for it wherever you get your podcast and look for seth the musical style the and his occasional musical stylings on airline confidential wherever you get your podcast oh my goodness madu are you trying to help are you trying to to cause them to listen <laughs> I, say, I do once in a while i sing these i sing these airline parodies at the end of at the end of the podcast and i i, I won't i won't do that uh i won't do that but i will serenade you with this because this is just like for me this is like you know i mean we're we're back together and it's reunited and, and that is a great place to end right. <laughs> so look for airline content there's one perfect content. newsletter and madu <laughs> airline weekly is it like i said good place to end seth thank you so much yeah. for joining <laughs> us this week and uh, we look forward to having you on another edition of um uh, mondays with airline weekly if i didn't if i didn't ruin my chances <laughs> yeah, i'll have to think about it. you're on probation all right until next <laughs> week goodbye